We hope to stay at the forefront of learning. I think that's that's really what our passion is, whatever that means. So we want to be able to deliver the best combination of technology and learning that we can possibly do. And I think you know, staying at staying at the forefront of that has always been essentially the passion. So, and for a while, for a while, that was that was learning management. It started with e-learning, and now we've we've taken this this back to how can we get the most out of learning and deliver the most with it. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today we are learning about the future of learning. I had the pleasure of speaking with Bob Biscette, who is the founder and CTO of Roundtable Learning, a company based here in Cleveland working to push the boundaries of how learning can work in practice. Roundtable Learning has reimagined what learning is by building innovative training solutions that leverage immersive learning and extended reality technology, like virtual reality and augmented reality. This allows people to gain real experience by going through situations virtually that would be too costly or too dangerous or just too difficult to replicate in the real world, like complex factory processes or active shooter scenarios, for example. To help organizations enrich their current learning programs, Roundtable has developed custom learning content for corporations like Amazon, Walmart, Kellogg's, Cox Communications, and more to help them engage with and develop their workforce. It is pretty amazing to see the future being built by a local company and to hear the nuance and detail of how Roundtable Learning is doing it. So please enjoy my conversation with Bob Biscuit. So I've been very much uh, looking forward to this conversation. One of the things that has always been really interesting to me is these kind of technologies on the forefront of progress and innovation and VR, AR. I keep, you know, I hear about them all the time and it's it's very cool to find a company in, in Roundtable Learning and the work that you're doing that is is putting it into practice and has found a real business model around it. And so I've, I've been very excited to understand and, and learn more about how the company has evolved and, and the work that you're all doing and your own personal journey into you know, bringing this all together, all of which we'll explore uh, over the course of this conversation. But thanks for, for coming on, Bob. Hey, thank you very much, Jeff. So I, I'd love to, to start with just kind of laying the context and giving everyone a sense for, for where you're coming from and where roundtable learning has come from. But maybe just to, to set that context, let's start with a, a brief overview of how you describe roundtable learning today, and we'll kind of work our, our way backwards from there. All right. Well, yeah, okay, so it goes, roundtable learning is a full-service learning and development group that leverages immersive learning technology to develop learning content that achieves real performance improvements. So that's a lot of words. Um, <laughs> yeah. So what it, what we're doing is we're essentially identifying all modalities of learning. And, you know, we really identify first and foremost as a learning company. And uh, we bring the technology with us. So we have uh, fantastic people that work here as uh, instructional designers, e-learning developers, as well as, you know, the engineering side with uh, 3D modeling and uh, software development. So but we, we lead with that learning. And... Uh, and part of that is uh, delivering and, and 
finding ways to measure that performance. And we do that in AR and VR. Uh, we do that in uh, traditional learning, and we do that with tools that we develop to deliver those as well. And what was your own path to, to roundtable learning? Roundtable learning, as, as I have understood it, it's evolved quite a lot over the years in terms of offerings and, and maybe the vision, but, but how is it that you came to, to start this company? So now this is probably about 20 years ago at this point. We had started a sort of in around uh, dot com boom era as, uh, as, as essentially e-commerce uh, consultants in the area. You know, the idea was to you know, we wanted to, we didn't want to be making everybody else's product and dream come true. So uh, we wanted to sit down and find a good idea for ourselves, something that we believed in that we could build. And I think every, you know, everybody in the group at that time uh, really gelled around uh, learning just because one, uh, it just didn't exist at the time. Uh, You know, content delivery or digital, digital e-learning was very much based, you know, there's a lot of military work, CBTs from the AICC group, and the web just hadn't arrived there yet for digital learning. So uh, back in those early days, we were making content and, uh, you know, we had some success getting Parker Refrigeration as an original LMS customer because they uh, the refrigeration division wanted to give get, uh, get some training out to their folks. And not only did we have this training that we could make for the web, but they had nowhere to put it or and no way to, to, to figure out if anybody took it. So kind of walked our way backwards into uh, that initial kind of LMS circa 2001, 2002. So, uh, and LMS very, is learning management? Learning management system. So... I think at the time we were, you know, one of a dozen or so max people that even offered this. It sort of progressed from there. Uh, we ended up kind of a, more of a boutique shop for setting up these customized LMS solutions for, for customers so that they could get their corporate training out. And then it started ballooning. People asked for things. Uh, <laughs> people, people always want more when they like what you're doing. So we started getting asked about HR software which is kind of funny. So we ended up creating modules to do uh, onboarding, to do uh, job boards and recruitment. And it turned into this monster of a uh, talent management suite that we were trying to deliver. And just over the course of time, it was really becoming, we were trying to do too much, I think. And, and we've really tried focused back in over the, over the course of those years, focused back in on, on the learning side of that. And that's where we felt we could make the most impact. What have we been doing the longest, you know, what, what we know best. And, uh, and, and so we continued on, on that path. And obviously, as we went through the learning landscape, uh, especially digital has gone through in that time, two separate sets, at least of consolidations, the market's very competitive. And at that point, uh, you know, we decided to exit the LMS space because we're you know, we're competing with folks that have, uh, you know, 700 people working on 10,000 new features. And uh, we just knew we weren't going to have the most impact there. And so uh, at this time, when we were going through that, our director of immersive learning now was uh, taking some first steps into uh, some AR VR experimentation. And we kind of threw all our weight into that. And in the end, uh, ended up developing not just uh, immersive VR training in those initial days, uh, it's really about two, three years ago at this point, but now developing a system for content delivery as well as uh, management of that content and collection of analytics and disaggregation of those. And, th- and this is all in addition to the, to the core e-learning business that we, that we still do. Right, right. 
it's it's quite a journey the the breadth from you know starting very very specific evolving from the consulting world and and being kind of reined back in it sounds like from the market to to really focus on on the learning side of things with the immersive learning which i want to talk a lot more about is that something that you found was similarly being extracted from you guys by the market or was it more you guys had a vision for an application of it that filled this void in the market that it maybe didn't even know that it had? Well, maybe a little of both. You could definitely see it on the horizon. And there was, what I, what I really see from it is that the cost for VR, you know, virtual reality headsets and the accessibility of the software and development tools from it uh, was starting to get to a point where it was uh, realistic to have, you know, a number of these things for a corporate customer. That and uh, the, the software toolkits available were starting to become more accessible as well. So it, it was really cost went down. The general market awareness of it as a possibility went up, and I think you know we just kind of latched onto it uh, and started making some internal demos and uh, putting a few things out there for uh, you know AR and VR at the same time. I think that some of those original demos we had. We had an engineer do a, a virtual office space in Vive on the Unreal Engine. So these are these are a headset brand. I'm sorry. You'll, you can stop me for a technical term. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the tethered Vive headset that was uh, linked to a, a tower computer that had to power it, you know, so you could take a virtual walk through our office. We also had some studios uh, you sit down at Target that a phone or a tablet could recognize and display a 3D model around that. And so we did a number of these and uh, really came to a head when we did a, uh, and I, I believe we have a, like a white paper on our website uh, for superior beverage. And this was essentially people stacking pallets. And this is something where somebody would spend, I believe, half a day on a line, you know, slowing everything down. No, I don't know. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they would spend half a day on, on a line actually training. And uh, what we did is we created a virtual training environment that allowed them to kind of get an idea. It's not a perfect simulation. It's, you know, it's VR, but uh, it provided a good enough sense of what's going on, what's coming and what you can do to really uh, get people to a level where they could just spend a half hour actually on the floor to be productive. So it's a neat story. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of the things I wanted to, to ask you about. When, when you envisioned, you know, immersive learning, again, we'll come to some definitions here in a little, in, in a sec. But when you envisioned immersive learning as a solution, what were the problems that it solves? And it sounds like maybe it's in that some of these trainings are only possible historically without this kind of technology by actually doing it, which causes some some burden to the organization overall. But but what were the, some of the problems that, that you guys had recognized that this kind of solution could could alleviate? Sure. And I think there's, you know, there, there's two things. There's the, there's the simulation aspect, which is, you know, what we're talking about there. I'm performing a task that I need to be trained to do, and I need to do it with some amount of precision. And I'm going to measure the precision with which I've performed that task and my ability to repeat it. That's the obvious. Uh, one thing that, that folks miss frequently is uh, we're able to uh, put people in situations that make them really uncomfortable. And by using anything from 360 video or, or, or uh, you know, full 3D environments uh, to help those soft skills training, 
So yeah, with, with soft skills training, you can really put somebody in that situation. And the fact that they're in VR, they're, let's say, let's say that you have an irate customer situation. Uh, you can put that angry customer in front of them. You have a store buzzing with people. You have, uh, you know, distractions, things going off. Like what, you know, how do you react to them? Uh, and, and, you know, we can, we can definitely, and then we can start uh, recording those interactions and figuring out how well people do with them and then give them, give them coaching to get them to the right place. Same goes with, uh, you know, there's scenarios like active shooter, things where people need to have, uh, you know, real knowledge to have, that, you know, to be a little bit scared so they know what to do in a real situation. So it's all about getting people fully immersed in a situation. So when they're actually presented with it, they have, an, they have a wealth of experience already canned that they can tap into. Right. An experience where they were not subject to real harm. Yes. <laughs> in, yeah. Well, that's process, very important. Right. <laughs> We're working on that, though. No. <laughs> well, okay. I think it, it might be a good time to just define some terms here. But when we talk about immersive learning, extended reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, how are you thinking about these terms denotationally? How, how are they related? And specifically in the context of roundtable learning, how are, how are you leveraging them? So immersive learning in general is the idea that, you know, People learn best when they're deeply involved with their training content and it's holding their attention completely and they're able to evoke critical thinking by interacting with it. So it's, you know, how are they, how are they experiencing it? What are they doing with it? You know, how is that, how is that uh, reinforcing the concepts being presented? And then when you think about uh, extended reality or XR, that's kind of the umbrella term for all of these things. So it's really around the, the technology for, for delivery. It includes augmented reality, which is your AR, and that's essentially you're being presented with an image and, uh, of real life, and you're overlaying, let's say, a, a virtual item into the real scenario. And that can be done, uh, that can be done with a, a headset like HoloLens, or uh, I don't know if you remember the Google Glass that was hot for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, that was essentially providing information in virtual space over top of a real space. And then of course we have virtual reality, which is essentially a fully immersive, either three degrees of freedom, which means you're basically stationary and, and, a, and, a, and an observer interacting with what's immediately around you. Or you have six degrees of freedom where you can actually uh, walk around in the space and interact with things. And then additionally, you know, there's mixed reality, which is, uh, which is a, a newer term where we're starting to combine either real world images and objects with a VR experience. So it's kind of part augmented, part virtual. So there's, there's different combinations of, of things therein that kind of make that XR term necessary. Got it. Got it. When you were kind of first developing the, the prospect for this immersive learning technology, one of the things that I think I always hear and envision about specifically this kind of development is how expensive it is uh, and, and the specific kind of expertise that it requires. And so was the ability to develop this kind of software, was there you know, a, a fundraising mechanism involved with, with this specific kind of development? Were you able to fund it just from the proceeds from the rest of the business? How, how did you kind of approach the, the business prospect of the initial development for, for all the work that you were doing on this front? The, yeah. So the, the initial part of it was actually uh, done all internally. And uh, 
the bulk of that was done uh, by Scott Stacio, our director of immersive learning, where who dug into really dug into some of those initial uh, technology pieces, and we were in there to uh, essentially support kind of the the most technical pieces of that. We did a lot of work. He did a lot of work specifically, but we all we've all done a lot of work to kind of grow it as a as a project internally. So we had a lot of freedom thanks to uh, our, our owner uh, Dan Gradual, who's uh, really supported the whole process as well uh, as we've gone. And so just to kind of give the the lay of of where the business is today, how much like what what are the I'll take a step back. One of the things that really struck me was kind of the breadth of kind of use cases in terms of what you are offering from anything like these high intensity active shooter situations to more, you know, warehouse process uh, kind of tasks. What is the breadth of of the kinds of things that you're tackling with this? Uh, maybe we could just start there. <laughs> so <laughs> and 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 how you think about like wh- you know what to what to address. So Typically, we're we're listening to uh, we're listening to our customers first and foremost because uh, you know we have a good we have a good handle on the technology and the delivery of it, so that gives us you know the ability to apply it in a lot of different ways. We have a we have a good common toolkit to to use, and it's the breadth. Uh, I, we do some crazy stuff. Uh, we've got uh, air marshaling, so you're you're we're landing planes with uh, we're we're having we're directing planes in with batons. Using voice recognition in the headset to simulate a uh, voice-activated computer system for for packing. We're doing full video shoots uh, with a full cast of professional actors on on location to to record the soft skills. So, as far as the the breadth, I think where we've ended is I don't think we've done a uh, a sit down full in vehicle <laughs> driving situ- simulation, but uh, we've come pretty close with some basic things for safety with a with a wheel and some pedals and some uh, and some screens. So I understand how the technology infrastructure that you've developed would would be pretty extensible to handle any of these situations. But do you have to acquire the specific domain expertise in-house to develop the situations that people are then trained in? Or is, is that a collaborative process with your customers to develop those? It is. Yeah, that, that's, that's always a collaborative process. And, and that goes back to kind of our experience in learning as well, because anytime you're developing e-learning that you're not, let's say, originating yourself and, and generating as like an off-the-shelf component, you're, you're relying on uh, what are referred to as SMEs or subject matter experts. So we work with our customer subject matter experts to find uh, where the business need is for it. How can we correct, apply correctly? Because you know a lot of a lot of it's fun looking, but you know it's it's not it's all, not always the correct answer for for your learning, and and we're happy to tell you that it isn't. So the the next consequence of this is what have you seen as the outcomes? Yeah, I imagine there are a few things I kind of want to dive into here, but what what is generally the reception from customers uh, working with what I imagine is unprecedented, just a new way of training their employees to to handle these kinds of situations yeah well what we've seen from customers where we've you know where we've gone back and looked at it is you know reductions in training times a lot of times we've reduced training time up to a third 50 percent reduction in workers comp claims in some of these cases 12 percent reduction in training costs because they don't have to have people there all the time on staff that they can go through in groups and then uh, you know measured a measured increase of ten percent in productivity. So 
what we hear from our users is things like, you know, the fact that we felt like we were an actual store in a store speaking to someone who was standing in front of our product. It was a great example of a store visit and ad pitch. We've gotten all kinds of great feedback about actually, you know, being there and having the experience. Like they thought they were there, they were ready, they were ready for the situation. But once they actually were in there, they knew they weren't and then gained something coming out of it. So that, that, that's really where we feel the most impact. And those are the kind of things we like to hear the most. Is there resistance that you ever experience with just a completely new way? Are, do people find it difficult ever to, to partake in this kind of training? What's, what's the learning curve itself for, for individuals trying to, to experience it? And I'm just, I'm wondering what, what the kind of, you know, like if there's any psychological resistance to, to what you guys are trying to do. Well, you know, I, I think a lot of the people that are coming are, are typically very excited to be trying it. It's usually there's usually a lot of excitement around uh, attempting an AR VR project. Some some of the resistance pieces, I guess, would be uh, some people have problems with wearing a VR headset. They don't feel comfortable putting it on. In in that case, you know, we're able to provide ways that they can take the same training in a in a more traditional way. Uh, literally the same training on a computer or through their web browser. It's an exciting technology that people aren't quite sure how they want to use yet. They know they know they think it can make a difference, but I think one of the biggest things is walking them through one how we think it could actually solve their problem, and two how we're going to measure that response and and get them useful information for the business. So I think those are the the two biggest things that that we typically worry about. And where do you feel like we are in the in the broader adoption of? of VR as a technology today? Like, you know, why is it taking it so long for it to, to go mainstream? I feel like growing up, I've been hearing about it as like, oh, just the two more years and then mainstream adopt. But like, where, why, what has been going on that is, that it's still a little bit far away, but that you've now found real, you know, commercial viability and, and success in, in, a, in an enterprise product? I think it's the, the computing trend of, uh, of smaller devices with better CPUs, better GPUs on them. I'm sorry, maybe too technical, but uh, basically, I think the cell phone, the cell phone revolution that happened actually largely is powering VR at the moment. Because if you think about a lot of these devices, whether it's uh, an enterprise Pico, uh, some of the new Vibes, uh, the Oculus devices, uh, they're essentially cell phones strapped to your face with two screens on them. And that kind of cost and power savings and the ability to operate it independently of, of a tower computer with a powerful graphics card has really uh, opened it up. And, and the fact that the, the hardware is so mass produced right now really uh, has brought down the cost of those devices. So now you can get, you know, for three or $400, you can get a, a good quality VR headset in your home today. And at that point, you, you can now justify purchases of, you know, 10, 15, 20, 2000 of these things to be able to deploy content on. So I'd say uh, it's, it's largely an outgrowth of uh, the advancements in mobile and power saving chipsets as a whole. So I want to tie together the advancements in, on the technology front with the, the work you're doing right now at Roundtable Learning and just kind of, you know, query looking forward with the direction the technology is headed are there things that that you are excited about that you guys have worked through kind of internally at roundtable learning that that will be coming on the horizon as a consequence of where the technology is is going that you can't do right now 
So, well, there, there are things that are possible, but but highly dependent because some of them are still, you know, very expensive and things that we've done and looked at. But I think there's a lot more to be done with mixed reality, just a ton as far as uh, being able to integrate uh, the integrate real world objects and motion capture with the VR world, as well as using things like haptics and custom peripherals. So there are a lot of different ways to get more out of the experience and more out of the technology. The, those pass-through cameras to allow better augmented reality are going to be uh, going to be great. Right now, you can look at things like uh, like a HoloLens or um, or even we have a, a Korean headset called uh, Nreal, which is kind of interesting. And these things allow augmented reality, but they're they're still a tiny window. You know, uh, the HoloLens too is slightly better, but as far as uh, the technology is concerned, once we get more of a uh, field of view in AR, and that, that might be enabled by a next-generation Oculus device or, or some other VR headset as opposed to an AR headset. But uh, once we get there and we can start mixing in the real world with virtual environments, there, there's a lot more that can be done that we're excited about. And on top of LMS, is what you are selling here specifically a software product that those who have the hardware of the VR headsets purchase or is it a whole comprehensive experience that you are selling when you are developing and, and bringing to market these these trainings and solutions so we're primarily offering the the software so basically we're we're working with our customers to develop the the training itself and, and that exists in its own separate application that can be deployed but additionally uh, we offer the package called Mercury XRS, which is the which is the SaaS product that'll allow a, that allows you to deploy that content to the headsets, allow single sign-on and analytics tracking as well, so that users can come back, do dashboarding from a learning perspective, and then be able to disaggregate th- those results all the way back to, uh, let's say, a BI system, third-party LMS or LRS. So we're doing everything instead of a generic analytics way around VR and content deployment uh, for delivering applications. We're doing it. We have uh, essentially a learning focus around that as well. So things are handled with XAPI extensions. They're, they're done in learning native ways. And the, and the, the bent with which we create them uh, focuses around that sort of data collection. So what is really the broader vision for, for what you guys are doing at Roundtable Learning? You know, understanding the past has been kind of this you know, collage of, of different directions and, and kind of honing back in on, on learning management as the focus. But when you think towards the future, what is the impact that, that you hope to have uh, and what are you most excited about as a consequence of, of the work that you are doing? Basically, we hope to stay at the forefront of learning. I think that's, that's really what our passion is, whatever that means. So we want to be able to deliver the best combination of technology and learning that we can possibly do. And I think, you know, staying at, staying at the forefront of that has always been essentially the passion. So, and for a while, for a while, that was, that was learning management. It started with e-learning and now we've, we've taken this, this back to how can we get the most out of learning and deliver the most with it. So when you develop these programs, how often are they extensible trainings, right? If, you, if you're working with someone to develop that airline, you know, landing the plane program, is that then a, a product that you take to market and are able to sell kind of across that vertical? And what's kind of the, the strategy for 
again, like which of these programs you're developing and kind of the reusability of them, if you will? Well, right now, uh, for, for the most part, the applications themselves are bespoke, right? They're basically developed on demand for the customer. We have a certain set of toolkits uh, that we bring with us. And of course, we have the the, the product that comes with those toolkits, uh, the XRS. So the broader vision is to be able to allow people to eventually make software for that XRS platform so that we can give them tools, be able to create content for it, and possibly create an ecosystem around that. As well as creating, you know, obviously we're, we're always looking at ways that we can take our own skills and hone them. So we do have some off the shelf products that we have in mind that are not yet to market. Right. Because that's what I was, I was working towards is yeah. how do you think about like where the flywheel comes from and building some of those network effects? Have there been any considerations or interest from the market with regards to more just consumer based learning rather than on the enterprise front? Well, given the amount of effort it takes to put it in, I don't think we felt too much from the consumer side. I think it's it's mostly B2B. I'm trying to think if there was consumer facing. So or from like maybe academic institutions or things that could be applicable to many consumers, but less like a one-off development for a person. Oh, yes. Okay. So I mean there there's obvious applications that we're that we've been looking at. And some of those are, you know, it's one of the things that we're looking at is uh uh, that soft skills training. I think I think there's a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. there, and there there's some other things that uh, you know I, I don't want to quite let out of the bag yet. But there's some other interesting opportunities that we have with uh, with partners to bring out some really great content in the future. Got it. And what does the competitive landscape look like in this world? Oh, <laughs> you know there aren't a lot of them, but they're definitely there. Um, <laughs> so uh, of course we've got some folks uh, that do. Similar things, not exact. Um, everybody's kind of doing it a little differently. It's not as it's not as bad as let's say in in the LMS market where everybody's basically competing on a fixed set of you know two hundred features, and it's you know and, a, and it's a race to the bottom there. It's it's more about different types of service offerings. Whether people are offering mostly mostly soft skills, mostly three DOF, uh, three degrees of freedom, you know, kind of passive consumption. People that are full-on simulations. These are your engineering simulation companies that are that are doing, you know, uh, that are focusing only on that. So there's there's a lot of different flavors in the market right now, and there's a few of them that focus specifically on corporate learning, like us. And the market's also international. There's a lot of UK companies out there too, right now, which we thought was interesting as far as uh, uh, that that seems to be a big innovation hub for for VR and AR now too as well. So it's not just from the coast anymore. And is your your focus mostly domestic, or have you had that interest from abroad as well? We've been primarily doing uh, domestic companies. We're involved with you know basically U.S. Fortune 500 companies. So we do work with Amazon, Walmart, Staples, those kinds of companies. So it's been uh, you know we fi- we figure there's plenty to do at home first. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. What's the the kind of scale of of the company today? How how many you know, customers are we talking about? Uh, and just maybe a little overview of what, what the company itself looks like today, how, how you guys kind of structure the business of, of roundtable learning. Let's see here. So as far as the number of customers, boy, I don't, I don't know if I could tell you that number offhand. It seems to be a whirlwind lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're growing. Right now we, we clock in around 30 people and that we have. Uh, we have engineers, 
working on specifically just content development. We have engineering uh, working on the, the platform, the delivery platform and toolkits. 3D modelers coming up with the all, all the all the stuff we get to put in. Instructional designers, graphic designers, e-learning developers, and sales and marketing. So as far as the skill sets, uh, you know, and and every you know every one of the the skill sets around learning is used in every project. So uh, almost none of these are just a pure technology. Well, actually, there is some pure learning pieces as well, though. But our but you know the, the focus is bringing together that differentiator, which is bringing in that that instructional design expertise. Uh, to AR and VR and everything that we do here. Yeah, no, I, it, it really, the, the, the space you're in is, is really fascinating to me because it, it, like you were saying, it's not commoditized software, but it's also not straight up services. It's essentially, you've kind of built your own product internally that you can, you can leverage like a product to offer these highly specific curated services for, for the, these large companies to develop you know, the training programs that literally have never existed before. Yes. And we hope to not, we hope to, to be able to release that platform to into the wild <laughs> as well. So we're our own best customer right now for that. But yeah, uh, we have, we have folks using uh, not just the software that we develop as, as learning, but also the delivery product, which includes, you know, in single, single app content delivery for VR learning to the device and handles all that single sign-on and, and all that analytics capture as well. So I think that's, you know, it's it's that combination because we understand, you know, coming from e-learning and LMS, we understand what you need to get back out of it in order to make good decisions. And we're helping our customers, you know, find how to do that in uh, VR so that we can, you know, provide real ROI and find, provide, you know, real ways to measure and understand how the learning is impacting their organization and how it fits into the broader scope. Right. No, it's it's fascinating. Do you find that there is already developer interest in the impending releasing of the product that you have internally? Uh yes, actually. I, in fact, we've been we've been in contact. Just I was just thinking. I I told you not much international, but I've been talking to somebody in 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 the EU right now about it because they're very excited about it as well. There are a number of platform competitors, and you know I think. Again, we're we're trying to differentiate ourselves by providing better tools to to help make that software and providing more open platform. And I think that's what's going to be the biggest selling point right now. I was going to say we're we're supporting uh, the Vive Focus, the Hololens two, the Oculus devices, the Pico devices, iOS and Android tablets for for AR. So we have a number of things that we can that we can deploy to, and and uh, we've been able to make that tool set in such a way that we can effectively deploy to to all of them. And I imagine just as the technology itself becomes more accessible to people that there just may be a greater demand for, for things like this, you're kind of ahead of the, the wave, if you will. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think once people get an idea of how this can impact their organizations and how much more effective it is in certain, in certain aspects and certain kinds of training, I think we're going to see a lot of movement. <laughs> Yeah, because I'll just—I I mean, I haven't experienced a, a VR training myself, but the, the ah, own personal experience I've had going through VR was first one of of a little skepticism, mm -hmm. and then trying it back in the day and finding it a little underwhelming because of I was a little nauseated, but trying it more recently and truly being blown away by the experience with the headsets that exist today. And I think the thing that struck me most about the experience was when you 
play a video game or you you watch the video on the on the screen of your computer, you kind of compartmentalize it as something else. It's like content you are consuming. But when you are in VR, it, it is experiential. It is like you are you are creating memories of like things that you are doing. It's a very different experience and it it really is this kind of magical thing. And I, I really I would be very excited to to kind of imagine the world where education has that component kind of built into it. It's, it seems very cool to me. Yeah, I think that's, that's really one of the, the most interesting parts about it is, you know, again, that, that feedback from the from active shooter training that we received, which was, you know, basically like, I didn't know how I'd react in that situation. I didn't think it would be anything until I was in it. And I didn't know, you know, I, I wasn't sure, actually sure how to hit the panic button, you know? like really internalizing what's going on. Like they, they were really there in their mind and, you know, and, uh, and really faced with those situations. So yeah, create, creating that, that, that broad impact. I mean, and that's a negative one, but you know, there, there are of course positive ones around, you know, customer interaction, getting people the right help, getting them to the right place, being able to let people have imprint that in their memory uh, by doing it. There's, and there's so much more to, to, that we can do once, uh, once some of these upcoming technologies become more mainstream. I look forward to, to following the work you guys are doing and, and seeing uh, what transpires. So one thing, I'll, I'll tie it back here to, to Cleveland at the end. Um, <laughs> for you know, something that we do for, for everyone that, that comes on the show is to explore not necessarily their favorite things in Cleveland, but for things that other people may not know about. their are hidden gems in Cleveland, if you will. So totally unrelated to business. Okay. And, and what you're doing at Roundtable Learning, <laughs> but w- with that, I will I will ask you for some of your hidden gems in the area. I don't get out as much as I used to, but <laughs> the, but uh, what, you know one of one of that, one of the hidden gems I think in the area is uh, St. Herman's House over uh, on uh, Franklin Avenue or in the near West Side. And they're a uh, they're a men's shelter. They're a place that uh, up until the pandemic would serve literally three meals a day to anybody that showed up. So they provide a tremendous service to the community. And uh, Paul Finley over there is the director. He's uh, uh, done a super job. My son and I uh, head there to, to make meals uh, uh, whenever we can. Uh, each each, uh, each of the, uh, the parishes that are involved tend to come in and, and uh, have, a, have a meal day where we all basically take turns uh, volunteering and serving. And then, you know, my kids get to, my kids get to go out and, and, you know, they're, they're out there with the people. And, uh, you know, we're, we're all eating together. And, and it's, a, it's a tremendous experience. Pandemic times, uh, of course, have changed things. But uh, they've knocked it back to just two meals a day which is still a tremendous effort and uh, they do a tremendous job there. So I think it's really one of the gems uh, of, of, of Cleveland proper. That's fantastic. Well, Bob, thank you uh, very much for your time and, and for sharing the, the work you're doing with uh, Roundtable Learning. It was, uh, I, was, I had very much been looking forward to, to learning about what you guys were doing. I, I just hadn't come across you guys before. And so it's been great to, to have you on and, and to share, share your story. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And very kind, very kind interviewer. I appreciate it. <laughs> for sure, for sure. If folks have anything that they would like to follow up with you about, about the technology, about the business, what, what is the best place for them to, to do so? Sure. I think uh, you can find us on LinkedIn at Roundtable Learning or roundtablelearning.com. Those two, those two places are your best bets at getting to us. Well, thank you again, Bob. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Take care. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. 
We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, unless otherwise indicated, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the company which appear on the show. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. 